Stay in the know this summer with a membership to the DSR Network. For more than five years, Deep State Radio has been on top of all the key foreign policy and national security stories impacting the world. We're grateful to our members who make all of this possible and hope that you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members get access to our expanded offering of exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to participate in discussions via our member Slack community, our weekly member briefings, and our DSR Daily Brief newsletter delivered to your inbox each evening. Members also receive all of our content via private member feed that you can add to your podcast app of choice. Help us celebrate our five years together by becoming a member. Join now for just $5 per month or $50 per year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you very much. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from New York City, because it's that time of the week. My co-host is joining us from Washington, D.C., Dr. Kavita Patel, formerly of the Obama White House, practicing physician on MSNBC these days, you know, pretty much 24 hours a day. How are you doing, Kavita? <laughs> well, that's because between monkeypox, COVID, and polio, and then something that has been jumping from shrews, yes, you've heard it, shrews in China to humans, it's a busy, it turns out it's a busy time for what is public the, health. What is the shrew-bound disease? Too soon to tell, 35 individuals who have had something called Lagoya virus, which a known virus, but generally only seen in animals. And it's just another one of these, we think, kind of animal to human jumps that's happening at such a at such a number that is unusual and speaks to some mutations and is worth watching. But it all brings back like shades of November, October, November 2019 to many of us. So hopefully, oh, please hopefully don't say that. that. Please, no, 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 please, no. please. It's, it's those stories from like October, like, oh, there's this Wuhan thing. And we all kind of said, oh, let's just hope it stays in China. And so anyway. so this, I, is a, this is a story we should explore because it's also, <laughs> as, as it turns out, a story of climate change. Because the more it is. change there that is, is mm-hmm. the more of these diseases we see jumping from animals to us. We, it seems and, sadly appropriate that the next one comes from shrews. Shrews. That's <laughs> EJ. I thought you and Max would really appreciate that because it was uh, <laughs> such. Not, it was. It was truly Shakespearean. Truly. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just worried about China cranking up their biological warfare on Americans. There so, you go. Exactly. At this point, that's in, that's, in, that's a in, joke for the record. But anyway, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate that, and 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 for all of you should flag your jokes as you make them. But obviously, we've gotten ahead of ourselves. I've lost control of this podcast earlier than usual. But we are also joined by two prominent voices, well associated with the uh, Washington Post. EJ Dion, how are you doing today, EJ? It's always great to be with you. I really loved your piece 
on Trump as a national security threat. I hope you mm-hmm. talk about that a bit today. I thought that was a very important piece. Well, thank you very much. And also of the Washington Post and the Council on Foreign Relations, Max Boot. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. And, and to top EJ, I have to say that I love all your pieces. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, I love everybody's pieces here. and all their- See, you can tell we're all in Washington because we all pander so well, sure. except yeah. we mean it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, Spy Magazine had this very sm- a small section called Log Rolling in Our Time. I love that section. Yes. And and it was it was people giving blurbs to each other's books, you know, and so, which I'm, I've, I've been guilty of that myself. But uh, in any event, you know, this is supposed to be the dog days of summer. People are supposed to be on vacation. EJ was just on a vacation. Max is going on a vacation. I've been on a vacation. Kavita, are you going on a vacation or are you just? I am. Uh, in any event, wait a second, Kavita, are you wearing a Batman T-shirt? I am. I worked on. I worked on. I, I'm a big Batman fan. I worked on their COVID protocols, and and didn't really think about the movie. And Robert Pattinson, their star, got COVID. All this is public, so they had to really think about their COVID protocols. And so I I missed out on seeing the premiere because I didn't want to be around people. But I streamed it, and I'm a huge fan. So yeah, I'm wearing a T-shirt. Wow. wow, I can go casual. I can go casual, David. I can't. No, no, I'm super impressed. Also, I thought that was not a bad Batman movie. As it was a good one. As it was dark, but yeah. it was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, in any event, it's supposed to be the summer, the dog days of summer, the middle of <laughs> August. Nothing is supposed to be happening, and it's not working out that way. Like you know, every day there's some new big you know story, and they raid the president's. Oh no, I'm sorry. I will be reprimanded for that by countless number of listeners. The FBI searched with a warrant, Thank you. not a raid, the president's house in Mar-a-Lago. It's actually not the president's house. It's a private club that he happens to own and live in. And they you know, were seeking apparently classified documents and other government property that he should not have had. And... Uh, and then he he actually sat down to testify in New York in a case brought by the New York Attorney General, in which apparently he pled the fifth 440 times, which is 60 times fewer than his son Eric did. But still, between the two of them, they're approaching a thousand times in this one case. And the Republican Party of which Max was once an enthusiastic member. Ouch, uh, you know how to hurt a guy, David. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, the, you know the, the, their response to all of this. Max. <laughs> yeah, this, right? this, this reminds me of Daniel Patrick Moynihan's quip when he was called a professor in one of his campaigns, and he said, oh, the mudslinging has already begun. <laughs> one of my favorites. It was Jim Buckley to Moynihan in the debate, and it was the perfect reply. Those were the days. Those really were the days. He was quite a guy. But in any event, the Republican Party has responded to this, once the party of law and order under Richard Nixon, apparently, and said, maybe we should shut down the FBI. Let's get rid of FBI agents. You know, who could possibly be behind this? Not noting that the 
FBI director who who okayed this was appointed by Trump and the judge that okayed this was appointed by Trump. So what are we to make of all of this? Is this significant or is this just more of what we've been enduring for the past six years, Max? I mean, I think that, you know, you kind of have waves of Republican craziness kind of go up and down. And obviously we hit a peak on January 6th of 2021. And I feel like we've kind of hit another peak in the last week where you see the violence of the rhetoric, which is comparable, I think, to what we were hearing prior to the January 6th attack. I mean, it's really amazing how this one little search warrant, which didn't even result in Trump's arrest. I mean, all it resulted in was the removal of of classified documents. I mean, it is just driven Republicans over the edge. I mean, if these were Democrats, the Republicans would be saying that these were snowflakes having a meltdown. But I mean, the just the level of hysteria and hyperbole is, you know, off the charts. And, the, you know, the calls to defund the FBI, labeling the FBI, the stormtroopers, Stasi, whatever. Uh, I mean, it's it's actually frightening the extent to which Republicans are are, are mobilized behind the principle that Donald Trump should be above the law. You know, I think that undercuts an argument that you hear or have heard in, in recent months, and really an argument we've heard since 2016 that, oh, you know, maybe the Republicans are moving past this Trump guy, maybe they're getting over it. And here's like three signs that maybe there is some disenchantment at some point in the Republican Party. I just don't see it. I still see Republicans still remain pretty much a a Trump cult. And that remains very frightening because their cult-like fervor has remained undiminished by all of the evidence we have seen of of what an enemy of our democracy Trump is. It hasn't hasn't really slowed their outcry on his behalf at all. EJ, I was listening this morning to uh, Morning Joe, and uh, Joe Scarborough was going off on one of his characteristic rants on this. Talking, you know, just sounding much, much as as Max did a moment ago. And, you know, it struck me, and I wrote a little thread on this that's been sort of little sort of viral on the web today on Twitter. It struck me that the reason the Republicans do this is because crazy works. That ever since Trump came on the scene, they've discovered that crazy gets the base motivated, crazy gets the fundraising coming in. And that, that there seems to be no limit. A coup against the United States, you would think, was a limit, or serving a foreign enemy was a limit, or serial sex offender was a limit, or you know, romance with Kim Jong Un was a limit, or <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, so, you know, somewhere in there there would be a limit, but but there isn't. And here you have Donald Trump in dire legal jeopardy. I, I I'm not sure he gets it, but he's in dire legal jeopardy, and they're like. No, we'll embrace that. We'll go after the FBI. We'll go after the rule of law because crazy is kind of the life's blood of the GOP right now. And until it starts to lose, it'll continue to be it because it's what got people primary victories this week and over the past few weeks. What do you think of that thesis, DJ? Well, I do think that uh, to pick up on something Max said first, that the Republicans came up with their snappy slogan for November's elections, which is vote Republican because Donald Trump really is above the law. 
what they did this week has a really large potential downside for them. I don't disagree with you on your premise that there are almost anything you say that's crazy, that's positively connected to Trump, and that can build a conspiracy theory around, if I may use the term, the deep state and liberals and all the rest, including that well-known left-wing institution, the FBI. Uh, Boy, (laughs) a lot of people uh, from an earlier generation are rolling their eyes somewhere in heaven about this particular you, you, attack. You mean an earlier generation, like those who remember 2016 when James Cummings torpedoed. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Or the guys in New York who were trying, the FBI agents in New York who were trying to elect Trump. But I think that, so, but I think there's a big cost to this because, and I think you saw it in the reluctance of Mitch McConnell to jump out there. Mitch McConnell was silent on this for a good time. And finally, he put out a statement which relative to all the others was pretty anodyne. He said, you know, uh, Merrick Garland has to explain why he did this. I think it's because McConnell knows and other shrewd Republicans know that this election will not be just decided on base turnout. It's going to be decided by suburban moderate voters who are really sick of this Trump stuff. I think, secondly, there was a whole lot of bad faith stuff going on in the last few days. Do you honestly think that Ron DeSantis wants Donald Trump's career to prosper. No, he wants to be the nominee. Does Ron DeSantis know he won't be the nominee unless he embraces Trump right now with the trouble he's in? Yes, he knows that. And so I think a whole lot of the Republicans who spoke up, yes, they're trying to motivate the base. Yes, absolutely. As you said, they looked at the the results of, um, say, the Wisconsin race or Congresswoman Herrera getting knocked off because she voted for impeachment. And they say, boy, do we have to feed this base? But I think there are an awful lot of them who would like nothing better than for Trump still to uh, disappear. And I think they're jumping on the bandwagon just as the wheels are falling off. I think it, it is significant that he had to take the fifth so many times in that case. It is significant that Christopher Wray and Merrick Garland who are notoriously careful and cautious, chose to authorize this search at Mar-a-Lago. Something big has to be underlying this, I think. And that if you combine all that with some of the new, if you don't mind my plugging another podcast, Ben Wittes did a very good explanation. If you look at all the other things being the subpoenas going out, the phone of the congressman being taken, Something's accelerating here is what it feels like to me. So in the meantime, the Republicans will have their election slogan. And I think Democrats will enjoy running against the because Donald Trump is above the law slogan. Yeah, although, you know, I think one of the things that strikes me and I pose this to you, Kavita, what strikes me is all this underscores the fact that this is not a problem with Donald Trump. The entire Republican Party has bought into this. If Donald Trump disappeared tomorrow and Ron DeSantis stepped up and took his place, it would not be a better, more moral, more principled party. And if you look, you know, you look at Ron DeSantis, you know, firing elected officials for no reason, banning things from the schools, his stance on gays, his stance on COVID is that he's, if anything, he's He's as bad or or worse than Trump. What I'm getting out of this week and what I've been getting out of the past few years is 
this is a party-wide problem. It's not a Donald Trump problem. So do you agree? And then you got pose some questions for these. No, I agree. And I, I do want to ask Max and EJ, because they've both written about shades of this in the last uh, week in a thoughtful way at the Post. But I agree. And the test that I have is that you don't need Trump on stage at CPAC and all the crazy conferences because you've got so many people willing, including the woman that's running against Abigail Spamberger in the Virginia 7th in the what was probably going to be a much closer house race, but probably has a little bit of real estate between there. But all you have to do is look at any of like the characters and caricatures that they have on all of these stages and even some so not so crazy stages. And they're all taken out of the playbook. They're all using Trump for better or for worse has kind of validated this playbook. And that gets me to something I wanted to ask Max and EJ. Max, you wrote about uh, the GOP is the party of Victor Orban and just kind of this GOP like fascism. And, and I wonder undercutting a little bit of that is I still think there's a couple of election cycles where people have to see either a rebuke of like the Trump way. We saw some sense of it in the primaries. We might see some in the 22, depending on which way some Senate votes go, some very close races. But I don't think that's going to wash it out of the GOP system. I think it's going to take maybe several cycles. What do you think about that, Max? And then EJ, I have a separate question related to your op-ed about the GOP holding their tongue and that they don't mind advertising that Trump is above the law. And that's why everyone should kind of be a member or supporter of their party. But Max, your, your point and kind of thinking about fascism and how long will this take to wash out a cycle or will it, will it ever go away? That's a great question to which I don't have a great answer. Let me just start with my very quick analysis of the situation, which actually builds on EJ's excellent book on where the right went wrong. Mm. Uh, and I do think that Bless you. Cur- <laughs> uh, I, I found it very useful and helpful. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that the, the, the origins of the current iteration of the Republican Party, you can trace them back at least to, you know, 1964 and the Goldwater Revolution when the two parties essentially switched places on civil rights. And it's been kind of picking up steam ever since. My, my other colleague, Dana Milbank, has a new book out about tracing the origins of the current moment to the Gingrich Revolution in 1994. And that's, and I think, you know, you know, the rise of Fox News in the 1990s, there's a lot of things you can point to historically that have led us to the current impasse. But I do think that Trump has been a significant player. He's not just, you know, a cork bobbling along on the, on the way, political waves. He has been an impactful player because I think what he's really done is he's accelerated the extremism and he's taken what used to be the fringe and turned it into the mainstream of the Republican Party. Because in the past, you had all these crazies at the grassroots. And I, as a Republican, did not realize how crazy the grassroots were because, you know, I was in my own little la-la land. But, you know, the craziness existed. But then I was, you know, working as an advisor for people like Mitt Romney and John McCain, who were not crazy, who are not crazy. Uh, they're actually pretty moderate. But I think what happened was there was kind of a disconnect between the Republican leadership and the Republican base because the Republican voters, it turns out, really wanted red meat. And you can see the extent to which crazy conspiracy theories, racism, nativism, all these horrible sentiments are very widespread among the base. And, you know, Republican politicians would pander to those sentiments at election time, but then they would govern in a much more centrist, moderate and responsible fashion. 
And so the Republican base got very frustrated with their leadership until finally Donald Trump came along and showed that the Republican Party could have a leader as crazy as it was, as it was, you know, that all the nuttiness that's in the base could actually be embodied in their leaders. And so I think that's what's actually happened in the last few years. And what that means is it's going to be very hard to convince rank and file Republicans to follow a moderate, sensible, sane leader, because that's not where they are. And they want somebody who accurately represents their views. So yes, you would have a different Republican Party if Larry Hogan were the Republican nominee in 2024. But newsflash, Larry Hogan ain't going to be the Republican nominee. It's basically at this point, I would say, in all probability, a two-man race. It's either going to be Trump or DeSantis. <laughs> and as, as David suggested, I'm pretty worried about DeSantis because in some ways, he's like a smarter version of Donald Trump. And you don't necessarily want a smarter version of Donald Trump because he's going to do more damage. So to what Kavita said, I've been kind of hoping since 2016 or you know, before, uh, you know, ever since Trump won the nomination in 2016, I keep hoping like, oh, you know, maybe this version of the Republican Party will suffer massive mm-hmm. repudiation at the ballot box. Maybe it'll be burned to the ground and the Republicans will come back to their senses. But to, to my horror and, and chagrin, what I found is that being this crazy, and, and this is to, to David's point, being this crazy is not a bar to electoral success. I mean, Trump actually won more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. And if it hadn't been for COVID, he probably would have won re-election. And now you have Republicans on the verge of taking back the House. It is true that their insanity may sabotage them in Senate races and cost them control of the Senate because they're just nominating so many wackadoodles in you know states like Arizona and and elsewhere. But you know this version of the Republican Party at the moment, you have to say, is a very viable enterprise. It hasn't lost the big do- big dollar donors. It certainly has a devoted base of followers. They've lost a lot of educated people. They've lost people with college degrees, mm-hmm. but they're making up for it with blue collar voters, including a surprising and shocking number of Latino voters who are now shifting to to the GOP. So I would love it if if this if this party, which is I've described as the new fascism, uh, if they would be completely repudiated and if somebody like Liz Cheney and Larry Hogan could arise from the ashes. But after what's happened since 2016, I'm not that optimistic. And for that reason, sadly, I'm not that optimistic about the future of America right now. I agree. And and EJ, building on that, your recent, I think most recent op-ed in the Post uh, kind of opined a little bit on this after the FBI and kind of Kevin McCarthy are are not hearing Republicans sound out even curiosity about, did anyone ask why exactly there was enough evidence to kind of go in there? To your point, I think you said something around the lines of the GOP, the party that says, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Look at Donald Trump. And that's really the undertone What's your perspective? And and I, I, by the way, I think both of you are, are right, much to my chagrin. It's not the party of Larry Hogan. It's not the party of Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney. This is the party of whatever it takes to win. And right now in this social media short time span, short attention span, January 6th is in the past and Donald Trump, you know, crowing about, you know, his violations of privacy forgetting about gun violence, forgetting about all of the things that uh, are the only thing I think that breaks through is reproductive justice. And I'm not just pointing to Kansas. I'm just looking at this national movement of people who are like, this is a line too far. But EJ, your thoughts? Well, thanks, Max, again, for citing the book. I, I think there's one thing I want to add to what Max said, which is 
what's significant is the movement of the Republican Party to the right and far right. And I agree, the mainstreaming of ideas uh, uh, from that used to be way beyond the pale. I remember during the Tea Party wave, a Tea Party supporter said, oh, they say we're extreme, but they said that about the John Birch Society, too. You know, and now, you know, Bircher views and all these great views that were genuinely regarded as lunatic fringe in the parlance of the 1960s are now part of the mainstream. But that's had a result of driving out of the Republican Party, the people who voted for uh, candidates like Larry Hogan in the primaries, you know, in my mass native Massachusetts, people like Ed Brooke in the past or even Charlie Baker recently. A Trumpist won a Republican primary in Maryland in the recent primary. Wisconsin was a state that had resisted Trump in 2016. When Trump lost in Wisconsin, he lost to Ted Cruz. It was uh, some people, including me, thought maybe this will be the end of the line. If It turned out it wasn't. But now Wisconsin, which had been a kind of bulwark against Trump, he lost pretty big up there, has now gone over to the Trump candidate against a candidate who is the candidate of the establishment. So the Republican base is not what the Republican base used to be. And I think that's very important in understanding why there hasn't been the kind of break many of us hoped there would be on the movement of the party to the right. I think what's interesting about the last couple of months is that an election that looked like it was going to be a normal backlash election against the incumbents and an inflation election. The, one of the best slogans a party ever used was the Republicans back in 1946. Their slogan was very simple, had enough, vote Republican. And I think they were hoping to run a had enough kind of campaign. I think that's been complicated for them. First of all, inflation is beginning uh, to come down. So we'll see what that issue itself looks like in the fall. But I think the uh, Supreme Court's decision on Roe in particular, as you said, Gavita, has really mobilized an extraordinary number of people and gotten people who might not have voted because they were disillusioned with the Democrats to come out and vote for the Democrats because they're mad at the court and the Republicans. I think the passage of Biden's program is a big deal that the parts that got through recently, not because everybody carries around a little card saying, look at all these bills that passed, but because A, people notice success or failure. And I think after months and months of a narrative where the Democrats fail, they don't know what they're doing, they're divided, they managed to do all this. But two, specifically acting on climate, I think one of the Democrats' biggest challenges is the feeling among the young that they voted Democratic and didn't get much out of it. There's been a lot of disillusionment among the young. I think the fact that Congress acted on climate is going to be very helpful to having young people take a second look at voting again. So I am not predicting the Democrats are going to hold the House yet because it's still a really you know hard hill to climb. Their majority is teensy. It takes not even a breeze to blow that majority over. Nonetheless, I think this election looks different now. And I could be wrong, but I do not think Republicans really like the idea that Donald Trump is so dominant in the narrative because they want to talk about Biden and, and inflation. And instead, an awful lot of people, including their own people, are talking about Donald Trump. Excellent point. This is the point where we normally take a break and we say people in the general public, you want to listen to the rest of this, you should go to the DSRnetwork.com, click on membership, become a member, 
$5 a month. You can support our doing all of the, you know, six different podcasts we do each week and uh, all the great conversations and the in-depth views that we've got here. And I encourage you to do it. We've had a, a good year. We've, we've, we've gained a, you know, bunch of people every week, but we'd really like to make a push as we, as we go through the rest of the year, because this kind of discussion is going to be more and more important, both in the run-up to the election and the run-up to 2024. And we want to be able to ensure that we're able to do it. So go there, do that, become a member if you're not. If you are a member, stand by. We'll pick up right here. This is Kavita Patel, co-host of the Words Matter podcast. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I talk about the issues facing our country as we head into the midterms and what our leaders are saying and doing about them. In a world filled with alternative facts and fake news, we try to cut through the noise to bring you the facts about issues like the Supreme Court. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you. Reproductive rights. What a failure of our system. What a failure. COVID. We had a million people or more who died, more than we've seen in our wars. And it's like it shrugged off. Subscribe today to get our latest episode and join us each Friday to get our latest analysis. See you then.